Hello and welcome to Puglisi Associates Podcast. I'm Rocco Puglisi, and I'm pleased to be joined today by Pennsylvania House Majority Whip Brian Cutler. I'd like to start this podcast with some personal background about you for our listeners, Brian. Can you share a bit about your decision to go into politics and what it has meant to you since being first elected in 2006? Sure. Originally, I was uh, employed as an x-ray tech. I went to x-ray school right out of high school and from there got in the hospital administration, decided to go to law school. And while I was in law school, I had been volunteering at the community or local level. And from that, uh, grew a desire to further serve the community in a greater capacity. So through law school and through my local service, I decided I wanted to run for office. So in my third year of law school, I threw my hat in the ring for state representative and went on to win the primary on Tuesday, a Tuesday in May. And the following Saturday, I graduated from law school. So it was a very, very busy week. But I had grown up in Drewmore. My family had been there since 1800. I was the eighth generation to live there. Uh, many folks were familiar, most familiar rather, with my family uh, story of both my parents being ill with Lou Gehrig's disease. And what impressed me the most about our community at that time was their ability to all come together. And uh, they really helped my sister and I. My sister's two years younger. They were able to provide help and support for us during that time. It was meals, it was helping provide care, and it was really just what I liked the most about living in Lancaster County. When someone is sick or something happens, everybody shows up and pitches in. And I wanted to preserve that lifestyle uh, for my own family, and that's why I decided to run. Uh, thank you. You are currently the House Majority Whip. And can you explain to our listeners what are your responsibilities of the whip and how does that play out on the House floor? Sure. Essentially, it means that I'm the assistant floor leader. Uh, in terms of the hierarchy, if you will, in the caucus, it goes as follows. It's the speaker, then it's the leader, then it would be the whip and the appropriations chairman. Uh, and then there are four additional offices, uh, those being caucus secretary, caucus administrator, caucus uh, policy chair, and chairperson who chairs the caucuses when we meet and go over bills. Uh, as whip, uh, I fill in for the leader when they are not on the floor in terms of calling up bills and helping run the floor, the day-to-day -day activity. But my main function on the floor is to assist the leader. That means counting bills, knowing where our members are at on individual bills or amendments, procedural votes, items such as that, and being that voice for the members in the leadership meetings uh, when we're discussing issues that could come up potentially and really having a little bit of foreknowledge about what they could support or where they could be and helping shape that policy. Uh, so that's really kind of the, the nuts and the bolts of the job. So. What does it mean to you to be in leadership, and how does it affect your constituents uh, that you serve? Well, I think, uh, for starters, it's very humbling, because that's, that's an elected position in the caucus. You know, we all win elections back home in the districts that we're all elected to serve. Uh, so we win those elections and come here, and generally a week or two after the elections are over, we then hold a election inside the caucus. So that means a majority of 
our peers felt that each of us could fulfill those duties the best in that setting. So that was uh, very humbling to be chosen for that. That's uh, also very exciting. It also is very demanding uh, because with it comes some additional responsibilities in terms of extra hours, extra meetings, uh, getting ready for floor debate, getting ready for floor action, uh, planning all of that, understanding or assisting members with their own bills and their own amendments that could be problematic and making sure that they're going to be okay. Uh, but it's it's something that I certainly enjoy, and it's very exciting because the debate side of the job and the floor action is something that I've always personally enjoyed. You know, you have a young family. How do you juggle the personal uh, responsibilities that you have as a parent as well as your professional responsibilities as House Majority Whip and as a member of the House of Representatives? That's a great question, Rocco. Um, you know, probably the one word I would add to the description of my young family would be I have a young and understanding family. <laughs> uh, because the truth is, I do miss things. Um, it helps that I'm closer to Harrisburg than most of the other leaders. Uh, myself and Representative Benninghoff, who's our policy chair, probably live the closest. I'm a little over an hour away, so I do get home every night after session. Uh, you know, like tonight, uh, I'm hoping that if our schedule allows, I might be able to make it home in time for my oldest daughter's volleyball game. Uh, so the schedules are in competition with one another, but I certainly think mine is a little easier to manage than, say, someone from Erie or someone mm-hmm. from Pittsburgh uh, because they don't, ha- they don't have the option of going home at night, whereas I do. And, uh, you know, the other thing is, is my kids, my kids understood that. And quite frankly, uh, having been in office for 12 years, my oldest child being 15, it is just what they've known. So for them, it is normal. And uh, my wife still works in healthcare, the industry that I came from. So very similarly in that job, you know, you work weekends, you work holidays and you work when uh, family functions are going on. So there's just an understanding that you won't make it to everything. But that you do try to make it to as much as you can. Sure. So what are, what are you most pleased to have uh, already achieved, accomplished as not only just being the House Majority Whip, but as a member of the House? Um, the timing on that question is actually kind of ironic. We just wrapped up the Solanco Fair, and uh, that, for those who uh, of your listeners who are unfamiliar with that. That's our local agricultural fair. It's a three-day event, 10 to 10 each day. And my first term, because uh, I, I asked the folks, as I relate the story here, you'll understand the importance of the timing. My very, very first term, I had a pair of grandparents come up who had had an issue with their grandson, uh, and he had gotten a denial letter regarding cancer treatment. And uh, they asked if there was anything that we could do to help. And we took the letter, we called the insurance company. Turned out he had a a, a benign brain tumor, but if he didn't have operation, uh, he would have some issues. And Noah uh, was uh, under the age of five, and while Penn University did the procedures at the time, uh, they, they did not do children under the age of five. The only place in the country that would attempt to treat a child under the age of five at that time was in Texas. And uh, we worked with the insurance company. We were able to successfully get him treatment. And he stops and sees me every year at the Solanco Fair. And uh, he, uh, uh, we, got, we get our picture taken every year. Uh, he's the same age as my youngest daughter. 
Uh, so there's there's certainly some age relatement there for me. And uh, I had an interview right after I'd won the election for WHIP, and the reporter at the time was looking on my wall at different pictures of people that I you know had the opportunity to meet or work with or bills that had been signed. And it was also right after the fair. And, you know, I have a picture of Noah on my phone, and without a doubt, having that kind of impact is the most important thing uh, that we can ever do in this job. That's uh, great. Because it's very, very real. Very cool. So what do you see as the most important challenge or challenges ahead in terms of uh, this session and uh, in the uh, subsequent uh, legislative session? Well, I think when you when you look out ahead, I mean, obviously— What's left of this session, I think the limited number of session days uh, will limit the ability to get some very good ideas completed. It's something that happens at the end of every session. It's not unique to this one. It's one where, if uh, for again, for listeners who might be unfamiliar to the process, if a bill does not get the entire way through the process, that's through the House, through the Senate, and signed by the governor, it has to start all over. Uh, I've had bills that have passed unanimously out of the House many sessions in a row, and it might take three, four, five sessions to get it to the governor's desk. Uh, that's just the way that the legislative process works. It is very methodical and deliberative in that approach. Uh, so there's always a flurry of activity at a session end, uh, just as there is always at, ju- at June budget time as well. Uh, so that's, pro- that's the most imminent challenge. Long term, I think the, the challenge continues to be the fiscal challenges facing the state. When you look out, we still have a very large unfunded pension liability. It absolutely must be addressed. It's the single largest driver for property taxes, uh, which is a huge issue in an area that I represent. Uh, in addition to that, our fastest growing age demographic in the Commonwealth is those age 85 and older, while our fastest growing export, unfortunately, is young professionals, you know, age 25 to 40, uh, which are prime earning years. And so when you look at the, that kind of uh, approach, it's something that I think that we need to do more to retain individuals here. We need to do more to grow business here and make our business environment more welcoming so that those young professionals want to stay here uh, so that they are the fastest growing uh, demographic in our commonwealth. If, if I may, looking at the 9, 12 legislative days remaining, so from a priority perspective, what do you see uh, occurring or trying to uh, reach the finish line? Well, I think the natural starting point is going to be any bills that are already in the other chamber, uh, because constitutionally and by rule, you need three days in the Senate, four days in the House because of our 24-hour rule regarding amendments. Uh, so that's seven days right there. Uh, and then the governor uh, you know, would have 10 days to either sign veto or allow become law, uh, which he's done quite effectively in his first term in terms of allowing bills to just become law without his signature. Um, so when you look at only having nine days, if a bill's not already been scheduled for a, a committee hearing or already in that process, I, I think it's going to be challenging to get it moving in this short time period. Um, so you know, looking out, I think that immediately chops the list down to whatever's in either one. I think we should take a good hard look at uh, issues uh, surrounding some further uh, welfare reforms. You know, we have Senate Bill 6. Uh, we, there's a work requirement bill that's in the mm-hmm. Senate uh, that was Representative Dowling's bill. Uh, I think 
that another good series of bills would be our bills regarding permit reform. There's literally billions of dollars worth of infrastructure improvements that are waiting on permits to be issued by DEP. And you know, you want to continue to keep our economy humming. I think the best thing you can do is get governmental paperwork out of the way. Uh, the average wait time in South Central Pennsylvania, while it's improving, is still excessive. It's over two years. Uh, and you know, the average person, particularly in an area where I live, they're not going to wait two years for a permit when they can go just across the state line and get a permit within 90 days. Uh, we saw that happen with the expansion of the gas plant. Uh, it was a gas power plant that went just literally 100 yards into Maryland because of the location of the transmission lines, the gas lines and things. The gas pipeline came through Pennsylvania to feed the plant, but the plant itself is located in Maryland. Uh, so that kind of development and opportunity and jobs should be in Pennsylvania, and we should do everything we can to streamline that. Uh, I think additionally some of the cost constraints you know, I talked about the financial situation of the Commonwealth. One of the best things we could do, I think, would be get House Bill 110, which is the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, mm-hmm. which would cap those expenses going forward, make government live within its means, just like you and I do when you sit down every month and run your budget. You can't spend what you don't have. And I'd love to see all those uh, come up. Uh, in addition, there's some good bills on protecting uh, police. Representative White's bill is over in the Senate. We also have a sanctuary city bill mm-hmm. over here. Uh, I believe that's uh, Senator Reschenschaller's bill. Uh, you know, so I'd, I'd love to see all those bills get to the governor between now and the end of session. Okay, thank you. Let's talk about the election uh, in November. Uh, you're up for re-election, and so what is the most important message that you want to send to voters uh, in November? I think uh, when you look at it and um, heading into any election cycle, I'm a firm believer in as long as you do your job, you don't need to campaign for it, uh, which I know probably sounds backwards. Uh, But if people contact your office and they need help, uh, the truth is if you've done that, uh, that's what they expect. Uh, The other thing is, is there there's a there's a difference between national level politics and local level politics. And I'll go back to the last gubernatorial election uh, in that regard, Uh, because while the governor at that time, Governor Corbett, lost by nine points, the House Republicans picked up nine seats and many of the things he was being blamed for, we voted for Uh, and not all of them, but many of them. And there's a couple reasons for that. One, I think we were better at messaging. Two, I think that we were better at explaining why those things needed to happen. And three, quite frankly, at 65,000 residents, it's a lot more likely that you've more than likely met your your residents at some point during your tenure in office. So it's a lot more personable. So it really goes back to the age-old adage of, well, you know, I'll use Congress as an example. Everybody in Congress is horrible, but we like our person. Uh, you know, you'll hear people say that a right. lot. And I think that that's just applied at the local level uh, as well. Uh, but, you know, look, we work with a lot of really good people on both sides of the aisle. Uh, and that's not a partisan statement. Uh, a lot of the bills, most people don't know this, 80 to 85 percent of the bills that pass, pass with bipartisan support. Most of that is unanimous. And uh, the media never reports that. Uh, but I understand because that's not exciting, uh, right. you know. And a lot of those bills are really good. You know, we updated portions of the education code that talk about 
key job statistics and mo- the most in-demand jobs and what degrees or skills are needed to fill those jobs. That's information that, as a parent, I would love to have. Uh, that was included in this year's budget package. Uh, we also talked about employing individuals with disabilities. Uh, that bill passed unanimously in both chambers, signed by the governor uh, with his support. Uh, myself and Dan Miller worked on that bill. Uh, you know, Dan's a, a Democrat from Allegheny County, and I'm a Republican from Lancaster County. So there's lots of good things that happen uh, with strong bipartisan support. I'd love to see more attention focus on that rather right. than how different we are. Right. Well, with all the House members, half the senators up for re-election along with the governor, how do you see the political debates and discussions playing out over the next month or so? Well, I think a lot of it uh, will continue to be dominated by national politics. That's just the nature of the news cycle. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, the individuality of each of those races will probably shine through. And regardless of who the electorate sends to us, we'll all work together come December 1 of next year. So, you know, there's old adage that Tip O'Neill stated that all politics is local. So you touched on the national politics. Do you see national politics playing... Uh, rather strongly in the November elections here in Pennsylvania for House member and senator? I think it could in terms of turnout. Uh, so there are, there are certainly pockets that are very uh, pro-President Trump and there are pockets that are very anti-President Trump. And to the extent that that plays into the congressional races and drives turnout, that could impact the House and the Senate races, absolutely. Uh, but I also think that both parties are very focused on trying to maximize that turnout. Uh, so they could end up, in the end, at the end of the day, blunting each other's efforts. Right. And uh, look, I mean, uh, I, I think that an engaged electorate is something that we should want. You know, the idea that you have a presidential electorate election and you only have a portion of the people mm-hmm. show up is somewhat disappointing. I was always raised that, you know, it's your duty to go out and vote. Uh, so primary day, general election day, um, you know, that's just what you do. My right. parents always voted. And uh, that I, I wish more people would take that seriously. So let's talk about, you mentioned uh, caucus reorganization. So, you know, with Dave Reed's, who's, uh, his decision, he's the current uh, House Majority Leader, not to run for a re-election. Uh, there will be a November caucus leadership elections, and it appears that Las Vegas has uh, put you in favorable odds to be the uh, next House Majority Leader next year. Um, would you like to comment on that? And, and if that is true, that you will be the next Majority Leader, what will that mean to you and for the caucus itself? It, that is something that I've expressed interest in personally, uh, and that has been reported. Uh, but ultimately, it is a caucus decision. Uh, and as I alluded to, it would be the election. Uh, but I do believe, up to the recording of this podcast, that I'm the only person who's expressed interest in it so far. Uh, so uh, I am certainly uh, would be humbled again uh, with that if that were to come to fruition. Uh, I think it really all will come back to messaging and and politics. Just like all politics is local, I also am a firm believer in that good policy makes good politics. Right. Uh, and I think that that position is one where you can drive both. Sure. So you, you touched on some of the issues for next legislative session, such as economic development, 
retaining um, our young um, young people uh, to remain in Pennsylvania. So, from your perspective, and if uh, you are the next uh, House Majority Leader, what do you see as the major issues affecting the Commonwealth? Well, I think anytime that you look at uh, what issues will be coming up, uh, I think it actually starts from the bottom up. Uh, I think that a lot of the outside circumstances will likely drive what will be the big issues. For example, and I'll go back to the DEP permitting one. Uh, that's an issue that I hear daily in our office from our residents about. And while that has a huge impact on economic development and job opportunities in the Commonwealth, it's also a very real and tangible issue that people struggle with every day. There's nothing more frustrating than wanting to expand your business, employ more people, and having the government tell you, well, we need you to wait under six months or nine months or a year before we can do that. So that to me is not so much what we want to do, but what we need to do because our residents expect us to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you look at that, I think a couple things jump to the forefront. One is controlled spending going forward. Two, uh, I think that you ought continue to have issues surrounding permitting and uh, issues of economic development. I think they go hand in hand. I think there are ways to improve that. I think that also uh, in terms of policy objectives, I think that, uh, that we're on the cusp of having a revitalization of the reshoring of a lot of jobs. We've got a very talented and skilled workforce. We train a lot of them here. We have some of the top colleges, you know, the meds and the eds here in Pennsylvania, yet we don't keep a lot of the people here. So to the extent that we can keep a lot of them here, we can grow that economy here locally. Uh, Additionally, we have a lot of homegrown uh, solutions and businesses uh, that are geographically placed on the eastern seaboard. I mean, we're, we're within, you know, a day, day and a half's drive of most of the population of our country. And, you know, so we're geographically positioned, we're uniquely positioned with the workforce, we've got access to cheap energy, uh, and, you know, those are all things that should encourage people to locate here to do business and want to stay here. You throw in the fact that you've got the, the lifestyle and the sense of community, because I know that's not unique to just Lancaster mm-hmm. County that I that I opened with and what made me want to run for office. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to do business. And that really uh, should encourage, I think, more people to want to come here and be a part of that. And if we can do that, uh, you know, there is no limits to our success. Right. Well, uh, we look forward to all of that in the days and months ahead. Good luck to you in November. And thank you for your time and conversation today. That concludes Puglis Associates podcast for today. We hope that our listeners enjoy our periodic podcast as we share a unique perspective with Pennsylvania leaders that are committed to the growth and prosperity of Pennsylvania. Thanks again, Brian. It's been great talking with you today. Thanks, Rocco.